Hello and welcome to this week's episode of What Happened. I'm your host, Tyler Callahan, and this is for the week of September 23rd, 2018. This one is a special podcast because all the stories are tech-related. That's right. This is a tech special with a whopping nine stories to go through. So let's start with Roku and Google are coming together with voice. Roku has announced that their customers will be able to control their Roku devices with Google Assistant. More specifically, you can use Google Assistant to open apps, search for shows and movies, as well as play and pause. Now, if you have a Roku device that does not have a voice remote, you can also download the Roku app on your phone and use that. Also, in a smaller update, Spotify will be coming back to the Roku platform with an updated app after being removed by Roku last year due to not being up to the company standards. With this, I like that Roku is opening up their platform to other voice services, as they already have their own version of voice search. It's always good to have some competition. Who knows, maybe Roku will allow Alexa on it. I think Amazon would be okay with it since they want every device to have it built in, including your fridge and wall clock. Snapchat is adding Amazon Search to its app. Another partnership that was announced this week was between Snapchat and Amazon. With this partnership, Snapchat adds a new function to the camera where you point and hold the camera to a product or a barcode and it finds it on Amazon, it will show on a pop-up. From there, you can click and then buy it on Amazon or in the Amazon app if you have it on your phone. Right now, it's still in the testing phase with only a small amount of users getting it in the United States. The Verge asked Snapchat about this partnership, specifically if Snapchat gets a cut of the profit from the items sold on Amazon via this feature. The spokesperson for Snapchat just simply told them that they have nothing to announce at this time. So I like this. I really like this. It's smart for both parties here. Snapchat gets a new feature to sell to people and keep users using their app. And Amazon gets a new way for people to search. For me, it also just makes Snapchat more useful. Like usually if I see something I want in the store, I either write it down in my notes app or take a picture. But now I take a picture where I can open Snapchat and have it search for me. Now I guess Snapchat didn't want to talk too much about the deal with Amazon, but for the love of God, I hope they put in that they get a cut of the revenue from items sold through the app. If this takes off, that'd be a great source of revenue for them. SiriusXM is buying Pandora for $3.5 billion. That's right, SiriusXM will be buying Pandora for $3.5 billion in an all-stock deal. For stockholders, if you own Pandora shares, you will receive 1.44 for each one Pandora share. With this, SiriusXM already announced their plans for Pandora, which is to keep it running for now exactly the same, with the same branding and service. If approved, SiriusXM would become the largest audio entertainment company with an expected $7 billion in combined revenue in 2018. SiriusXM expects the deal to be closed sometime in the first quarter of 2019. However, there is a small chance it might not happen. CNBC is reporting that in this deal there is a GoShop provision. This provision would allow Pandora to, quote, may actively solicit, receive, evaluate, and potentially enter negotiations with parties that offer alternative proposals following the execution date of the definitive agreement, end quote. So now that other companies know what the price is for Pandora, they can now consider making a high offer and see if they can buy them out instead. I was shocked by this at first, mostly because I didn't think SiriusXM didn't, did have $3.5 billion to spend, but once I found out it was an all-stock buy, it makes more sense. SiriusXM kind of lives on being bundled with cars or people having an online subscription service to use it. But the key demographic for it is middle to older people, or middle age, I should say. Getting Pandora makes sense as well because they can keep the branding and you can sell that to a younger demographic. This is a similar situation to PayPal and Venmo. As younger people are, like, everyone uses Venmo. It's a cool app, but most people don't know it's from PayPal, something they don't really use. A quick story for me, if anyone is old enough to remember this, but as a kid, in the early to mid-2000s, I remember when Sirius and XM were separate companies and rivals. And they would have those, like, kiosks in the mall, each one would have them. And my dad personally went with XM over Sirius. And while he had the service, I liked it. But once we moved to Ireland, he got rid of it because it didn't work over there. Apple completes acquisition of Shazam. Announced back in December of last year, Apple bought Shazam for $400 million, and the deal was closed this week. 
For now, Apple will keep Shazam running like it always has, with the bonus that it will soon be getting rid of ads on the app for both the iOS and Android versions. While one of the original apps that came out when the apps on smartphones were in their infancy, Shazam is still very big, with the Apple press release mentioning it has been downloaded 1 billion times and is still used 20 million times daily. I don't have much to say here, as this is just an update on older news. It's smart of Apple to start using their war chest of cash to buy some companies, and I can see them using the technology behind Shazam to maybe improve Apple Music and Siri. Google to allow limited cryptocurrency ads. Earlier this year, Google banned ads about cryptocurrency, and according to CNBC, Google will be lifting the ban for certain crypto ads in America and Japan sometime in October. One subset of cryptocurrency ads that is still banned are for ICOs or initial coin offerings. I think this is a good move for Google, as the hype for crypto has died down a bit, and of course it's good for Google to make even more ad money by approving some of these ads. It is also a smart move to still ban ICOs, because over the past few years, there have been so many that have been worthless. It's smart to not be involved in one way that could come out and be a scam or collapse after a few months. If they allow those ads, they could be dragged into a mess as they could be blamed that they were involved in scamming people, so it's just best to not allow them. The first smartphone with 10 gigabytes of RAM is coming soon from China. Gizmo China is reporting that there is a smartphone coming soon with 10 gigabytes of RAM. The way they found out about it was from Twitter, that Tenna, China's government body that certifies phones before release, much like the FCC here in America, updated the Oppo Find X profile with a new variant, with this new one listed as having 10 gigabytes of RAM. Now usually this means that if a phone is going for regulatory approval, it's getting ready to be released. But as of, as of now, there's no release date. If I was to make an educated guess, I would think it comes out before the end of the year. For me personally, I'm not surprised it is a Chinese phone company that is pushing the envelope in smartphones. They've been doing that for a while. It was the Chinese phone company that was the first to try a phone with a fingerprint sensor built into the screen, with now others trying to, other companies trying to catch up like Samsung. The latest rumors being that the S10 will have it if they can get it to work. What I find curious, however, was that if this is accurate, this is just a variant of the Oppo Find X. But I think the first phone having 10 gigabytes of RAM could be something to market to market as your next flagship phone. Like it should be a brand new phone that has it, not just a here's a new version of our current phone. I'm looking forward to seeing the official announcement of this phone so we can get some more details about it. Google CEO to testify before Congress in November. This week, Google CEO Sundar Pichai had private meetings with Republican and Democratic lawmakers about a few topics they had questions on, including if there's an anti-conservative bias at Google and about Google possibly re-entering the Chinese market. In part of a statement to the USA Today, Pichai said, quote, We remain committed to continuing an active dialogue with members from both sides of the aisle, working proactively with Congress on a variety of issues, explaining how our products help millions of Americans, consumers, and businesses, and answering questions as they arise, end quote. This has been a long time coming for Google, especially since a few weeks ago they refused to send the CEO to a hearing about election interference. Meanwhile, Twitter did send their CEO, for example. Now, personally, I don't believe the claim that Google is silencing conservative news or viewpoints. Since, yes, a lot of tech companies, including Google, have liberal-leaning employees, if they wanted to do it, they easily could. But if you do, why put yourself at a huge potential risk? This seems to be a similar situation Facebook had a while back about the trending topics they had on the news page where conservatives were complaining that they were never on it. Therefore, it was an anti-conservative bias. What I am curious on for the hearing in November is if Pachai will give up any more info about the search app for China. However, much like the Mark Zuckerberg hearing earlier in the year, I expect a lot of politicians asking basic questions about how Google works and not specific and detailed questions that need answering. Instagram co-founders leaving Facebook due to issue with upper management. In a bit of sudden news, Instagram co-founders Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger are resigning from Facebook effective immediately. In a blog post written by Systrom, he mentioned that, quote, Mike and I are grateful for the last eight years at Instagram and six years with the Facebook team. We've grown from 13 people to over a thousand with offices around the world, all while building products used and loved by a community of over one billion. We're now ready for our next 
chapter. We're planning on leaving Instagram to explore our curiosity and creativity again. Building new things requires that we step back and understand what inspires us and match that with what the world needs. That's what we plan to do. End quote. With this, Mark Zuckerberg also released a statement about their departure. Quote, Kevin and Mike are extraordinary product leaders and Instagram reflects their combined creative talents. End quote. And that quote, I've learned a lot working with them for the past six years and have really enjoyed it. I wish them all the best and I'm looking forward to seeing what they build next. End quote. Now on paper, this all seems fine. You know Facebook bought Instagram back in 2012 and the co-founders have been still running it since and maybe they wanted to change the pace. However, while that is true, apparently the reason for their sudden departure is due to constant interference from upper management, or more specifically, the CEO. This is according to sources talking to Bloomberg. Quote, Lately, they were frustrated with an uptick in day-to-day -day involvement by Zuckerberg, who has become more reliant on Instagram in planning for Facebook's future, said the people who asked not to be identified, sharing internal details. End quote. This is something I actually believe, because Systrom and Krieger now follow in the footsteps of the founders of WhatsApp, who left last year over disagreements with Zuckerberg, and that's been a bit more public. Now, we don't know what Zuckerberg wants overall that caused him to leave, but all the speculation leads to that Instagram will be more integrated with Facebook, and it makes sense. Right now, Instagram is killing it, and it's starting to make Facebook as an overall company a lot more money, so you want to keep that close and keep it running. Also, all the PR issues fa Facebook has had over the past year has hurt their image, but Instagram has been fine. So maybe there is an idea in place where integrating Facebook more with Instagram is a way to improve their image. Time will tell as right now Facebook has more important issues with the current scandals they are in. The last story, Elon Musk and the SEC. This week, a whirlwind of events for Tesla, the SEC, and Elon Musk. Toward the end of the week, the SEC announced that they filed a lawsuit against Musk about making false and misleading statements and manipulating the market. This is based on a tweet he sent last month about the thought of taking Tesla private at $420 a share. Here's the full tweet. Quote, I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. End quote, with a follow-up tweet of, quote, shareholders could either sell at $420 or hold shares and go private. End quote. Now, after this, it came out that the SEC offered to settle with Musk, and he said no, thus forcing the SEC's hand by suing and trying to get him removed from Tesla as both CEO and chairman. Now, that is all I wrote for the story, along with my thoughts. However, squeaking into the last second Saturday was the breaking news that Elon Musk settled with the SEC. Pending a court approval, Elon Musk can remain as CEO of Tesla, but must resign as chairman within 45 days and pay a $20 million fine. Also, he cannot try to become chairman again for three years. For Tesla, they must also pay a $20 million fine for not keeping Musk in check with his statements on Twitter. They also must hire two more independent people to join their board of directors. With this deal, Musk did not admit that he was, he was guilty of false statements and market manipulation. So what are my thoughts on this? Well, since I haven't really talked about Elon Musk or Tesla on this podcast, let me start there. Overall, I do like Elon Musk and what he is doing with both Tesla and SpaceX, and I think we should have more people like him trying to push the envelope in those fields. I also do like how he uses Twitter to talk to just about anyone with questions, and I respect that. However, he could learn to be a bit quiet when needed, such as calling a diver who helped save the people stuck in a cave in Thailand a pedophile. That was uncalled for. Now with this tweet, I like the idea on paper. He's letting people know what he's thinking of doing, and letting us stay informed. Also, while I understand the SEC is going after him for breaking the rules, it does rub me the wrong way how spectators and analysts can talk about a company, and that will affect its price, but that's okay. I love business and I love investing stock market, but that's always bugged me. For Musk, though, he should not have tweeted that out because simply, apparently the only thing he had was a verbal agreement to take it private with funding, and that broke down. It wasn't written in contract. If you're going to break the rules and tweet it, then sign the papers and make it official. It was also smart for him to settle because it was a slam dunk case for the SEC. He sends out the tweet, stock goes up because of it, and it doesn't happen because of verbal agreement, and stock goes down. You can really make that sound like market manipulation. A big, big no-no. Hopefully he learned after this and is more careful with his tweets.
That is it for this week's episode of What Happened. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at TylerCallahan95. Read my articles on my website at TylerCallahan.com or subscribe to my YouTube channel. Link is in the description of the podcast. Thank you for listening.